0: Diving in from stage left, thank you so much, I think, uh, David, Karas, lovely, as ever. Lovely, lovely to be here. Happy May. It is the best month. We know that. And all the best people have birthdays in May, right? <clears throat> Amen. As well as David. Boom, <laughs> boom. So the second most important thing that's happening on Wednesday is it's David's birthday. And friends, just give him some attention or something, just or him some kind of way, otherwise we'll never hear the end of it, Okay. So happy birthday to all the May birthdays. Good to be here. Heard a lovely story this week of a bloke, let's call him Dave. Uh, quite a recent story in a different town than this. Uh, he was in hospital. He'd been there for some time. He's in a private ward of two beds. The other one was empty. He was told, he'd been told for a couple of days that there was a guy coming called Mike who was going to occupy the other bed and he waited. And eventually this guy, Mike, turned up. But very surprisingly, uh, after just three hours, he didn't even have time to get into the bed. He was discharged. This other guy, Mike, who'd, who'd had an operation, had a heart condition. True story, by the way and uh so he was just after three hours and it was a bit strange but during that three hours uh in his vulnerability this guy mike had found himself pouring him his kind of heart out to to the guy dave in 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 the hospital bed about how he'd been a terrible husband and uh, i think three times a terrible father was totally disconnected from his children he had a bad life made some bad choices and all of that sort of thing it was just an outpouring and then off he went because he was discharged Um, but Dave, who was a follower of Jesus, had found himself able to express some encouragement and say something of his own story of of discovering that God is good and how he'd seen God move in his own life and forgive him and free him. And, you know, there was hope in Jesus, effectively, just share share some faith like that. And they were able to exchange numbers. Three weeks later, uh, Dave gets a call from a woman who says, I'm Mike's wife. And uh, I just want to tell you that the last three weeks have been absolutely extraordinary. There has been a complete transformation in my husband's life. Um, And he's said a number of things right. Uh, He's found peace with God. He's found peace with members of his family who had fractured relationships. He's been in touch with his son and daughter who he was estranged from over many, many years. And it's just an extraordinary thing. And I'm phoning up to tell you that he died last night true story. Amazing. And would you, would you be kind enough to come and speak at his funeral? And, and they gave the details. And I was so struck by the story and, and uh, love it. And I don't know what you make of uh, this phrase, divine appointments. Uh, personally, I, I quite like it. But that kind of extraordinary, unpredictable, unplanned, not in anybody's calendar, uh, a bit odd... Um, but it sort of happens, a coming together with God's divine, unmistakable fingerprints all over it of, of, of two people or some people, whatever, that leads to something fruitful and unexpected by way of, of blessing, uh, something miraculous even that wouldn't otherwise have happened. So I, I personally, I love the phrase Divine appointments. I'm happy to use that as a shorthand. So, as we continue this series of messages post Easter about the resurrection power of God, how he uh, not only intervened in history in the most dramatic way, but continues to intervene in our lives as his people, um, I'm calling this message You and Me and Divine Appointments. Expecting them, going after them, not missing them, making the most of them. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Find your Bibles, Acts 8. 26 is the verse. A little story here. A little bit of background while you're finding it. Acts chapter 8. It's really good to have it in front of you. The main character that we're, we're, we come across here is Philip. You probably know this crops up uh, three times, actually, in the New Testament. And this is not the same Philip who was one of the 12, one of the original apostles. He's one of the seven selected in Acts chapter 6, delegated to do some, some, uh, some management tasks and some organizing so that the, the apostles themselves can be released to do the things that they need to focus on, which is teaching and prayer. So Philip is one of those seven. Um, in Acts 21, a little bit later on, we come across him again living in a place called Caesarea. And he's described there as Philip the Evangelist one of the seven, and he has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Kind of intriguing, one of those little intriguing little uh, details. We don't know much about them, but they were unmarried, and the key thing about them was that they had this amazing prophetic gift. And here we are, the third reference is in Acts chapter 8 as you found it. And if you're just a glance at the beginning of the chapter, you see that Saul later becomes Paul after he's knocked off his horse and gets blinded by God and has his life turned around. But Saul, in this moment, is persecuting the church. He's really gunning gunning for these Christians, these followers of Jesus. And so they get scattered uh, in their sort of fear and and, and running away and so on. And uh, we find Philip then scattered to Samaria, that's north of Jerusalem by a bit, and he's faithfully, if you look at the beginning of the chapter, faith, continues to faithfully speak, demonstrate, boldly kind of go about Christian witness to the things that he's seen and heard. And amazing things are happening. There's this kind of rally, revival, whatever. Uh, healings are happening. Uh, demons are getting cast out of people. The gospel's being preached. People are coming to faith. Their lives are being turned around on a big scale. It talks about crowds in this city, verses four to eight, right there. And then there's a situation, a funny story, individual story about this strange chap called Simon the Sorcerer. You need to read that for yourself. Sounds a bit like like something out of a kids' TV program. You get Percy the pig and Thomas the tank engine and Simon the sorcerer. And something happens to him and he gets changed. And then we arrive at uh, verse 26. Talk about a divine appointment. Some of you will know the story well, but let's read it and enjoy it again together. This coming together. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south now to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, which means the queen of Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit told Philip, go up to that chariot and stay near it. Obviously, he wasn't running, you know, going too fast. Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, "'Do you understand what you're reading?' Philip asked. "'Well, how can I?' the man said, "'unless someone explains it to me.'" So he invited Philip to come up in, into the chariot and sit with him. And this is the passage of Scripture that the unit was reading. "'He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent.'" So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here's water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away again, somewhere else, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You may or may not be familiar with the story. Brilliant, divine appointment. We read those stories and go, that's amazing. I love love coming across those, don't we? Rich, full of interest and but then we say, But 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 what? But God, what's this what are you up to here? What's that about? What how does that relate to me? It's a bit odd, it's a bit strange. I haven't done that, had that kind of experience. We're not, you know, chariots have gone and all of that. What's going on here? We're going to focus on Philip in just a moment, but let's just remember from God's picture, big picture, what's going on here? God has got an agenda. God has got an agenda. Had one then, has had it for all time, he's got it now. What's his agenda? In my language, he's gathering a family. God's big agenda is he's gathering a family. He always has done from the start. Put simply, to be with him now here on earth and then one day to be with him forever in glory in heaven. He's gathering her family, and the way that he gathers people into the family from every tribe and every nation, by and large, is through the example, the life, the words, the behavior, the everything of the people who are already in the family. It's called the church, you and me, if you're one of them and call yourself a follower of Jesus. That's basically how he does it. We're equipped and trained and empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit to gather people into God's family. That's what he's up to. That's what Jesus said would happen, by the way, isn't it? Remember Acts, the beginning of Acts, stay here for, for in, in uh, Jerusalem because you're certainly not going to be able to do this by yourself. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. The Holy Spirit does. But then when you've done that, when, when he's come, you've received him, off you go, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll do all of that stuff. You'll help gather the family here in Jerusalem, and then Judea a bit further, Samaria a bit further, and then to the ends of the earth. And here we are just a few short chapters later, and that's exactly what's happening. Hey, presto, Jesus got it right. The gospel is spreading fast, partly through persecution, the scattering that's happening. And here's Philip and others, they've made this huge impact in Samaria, and now the Lord sets up this divine appointment. And off the back of this one, one encounter, by the way, with this influencer, as I guess we might now call them, from Ethiopia. Not only, of course, does his life get transformed, but Christian tradition is pretty strong on this. He then, because he had an influential position, was able to take the good news of Jesus, and and good things began to happen uh, in in the part of Africa where he was from. Ethiopia then was probably what Sudan is now, something like that. 500 miles south of Jerusalem, within a short space of time, the church gets going there and has had a presence there and a witness ever since 2,000 years on. And by the way, in brackets, let's not just see this as a strategic move of God, just how can I get the gospel there? Picture yourself as the Ethiopian, and we'll come back to this in ministry time, I think, because where David has rightly taken us. Here's a beautiful, precious example of a man going, wow, God knows me. God sees me. I'm traveling on this, I've been in Jerusalem, I'm not quite sure what it was all about, I've got this book in front, these scriptures, I know something about it, we don't know everything about his background. But what a powerful individual and personal experience for him. God sees me. He knows me. And for some of us today, that's the most significant thing that is going to be renewed in in your heart and mind. God knows me. He sees me. The Holy Spirit is going to drop that like like a bomb in your life. I'm known. I'm known. I thought I wasn't known. I thought I was in some remote place, even on a desert road. No, God sees me. He knows me. It's not all all just about the the strategy, but it is that too, because God's gathering the family. He wants everyone in it because he loves everyone, but he gives everyone a choice, because if you don't give a choice, it's not love. But here's this moment in that much bigger moment, and we love these individual encounters. Here it is. Brilliant example for me of what uh, Paul describes as keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see it from Philip's viewpoint now. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful phrase. Have you ever picked, but what does that mean? What does that sort of sound like? I think Philip shows us beautifully what it means. And we might be thinking, well, does keeping in step with the Holy Spirit always look odd? Does it always look miraculous? Does it always look weird and supernatural like this? Well, no, clearly not. But does it sometimes? Clearly, yes. It absolutely does. A friend of mine woke up not too long ago, uh, earlier than usual, on a Saturday morning, holiday morning, and had a sense that she was supposed to phone a family um, friend right there and then. And she argued a bit with God about whether that was okay, because it was very early. It was before seven, about half six. But Right there and then she, she had this little debate, but then phoned up this family friend. And the friend immediately said, oh, so you got my email then? And my friend said, no, I, I haven't checked my email. I haven't seen an email. And, and this person was able to go on and say, well, my Literally late last night, my husband literally walked out on me. I couldn't bring myself even to call, so I wrote an email. And so that conversation at half six in the morning on a Saturday brought something beautiful and precious in that moment of God. My friend was able to do that, to bring that into that situation. Of course, there's a bigger story, but it was a divine appointment, wasn't it? It was just one of those orchestrated touch of God, a bit weird, a bit miraculous. Why then? Why not? Later. Don't know. But God did it, and she responded because she was wise enough and heard, and, and something precious happened. I love the phrase divine appointment. I love the phrase naturally supernatural. We sometimes use it here. I think a lot of our following of Jesus is, is kind of ordinary, if I can put it like that, straightforward, faithful, um, plain old-fashioned kind of obedience to the revealed word of God in Scripture. Uh, and we don't need... Uh, odd, and we don't need sort of bells and whistles on it or something complicated to go. No, I'm love God, love people, um, forgive people who hurt me, be kind, be generous, don't nick stuff, don't tell porcupines. One day in seven, take a, t- take a day when you don't work and you do use it for rest and refreshment and particular worship of God. And there's plenty of all of that, of course, there is, even in the book of, of Acts, but alongside. Things like this, at my count, I did a brief count in the first 18 chapters of Acts, 18 incidences of God, the Holy Spirit breaking in, in this kind of a way, leading people in a rather extraordinary way. It's part and parcel of the, of the package. We understand it all, well, no, but here it is. But Tim, you might say, this is the book of Acts. This is the highlights reel. And I'm not Philip and I'm not called an evangelist and it's all a bit intimidating. So are you saying that I'm supposed to be like Philip? No, you're supposed to be like you. But like Philip, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and becoming more like Jesus and learning to walk in step with his Holy Spirit. So three little things uh, from Philip's story that are common ground for all of us, even though we're not Philip and we're not there and we're not into deserts and chariots and stuff. But they still matter. He was interruptible. I love this, this word that came. He's interruptible. Philip was not just sitting around on his backside in, in the city of Samaria, was he? Just waiting for God, the Holy Spirit, to tell him what to do next. He was really busy. He was having a fantastic time, as far as I can see. He was absolutely on a roll. Him and God and others around and this miracles of salvation and healing and, and super fruitful. What could be better than this? So the logical and rational thing, surely, would be to stay and carry on doing it. Why would you ever want to move away from that? Everything is going so well. Amazing. I find it so challenging then that in the midst of all of that, surely not expecting to have to move onwards, Philip is sensitive enough to hear the Lord's voice, this angelic voice to him, and obedient enough to go without question, even to somewhere in the middle of the backside of nowhere, and we don't, don't know where we're going out of the city. I find that so challenging. I've told it before, so I'll tell it really briefly. Our lovely friends down the road in that funny circular-shaped building were were looking for some more employees, so the story goes. And so they invited the shortlisted candidates into a room, and it was quite a noisy room and reception area, and there's phones ringing, there's noise outside, and all that kind of business. And they just sat there, told to wait before their interview time happens. And there was a particular moment where one of them got up and and went out, and and, all the rest just sort of stayed there waiting. And then a short time later, a the boss kind of came in and said, "Thank you very much for for coming for the interview uh, for this job to be a spy and um but the the position has now been filled, and they're all a bit sort of strange and how how come well because While you were waiting uh, over the noise of the radio and the the, traffic in the street and everything, there was a tap, tap, tapping on the wall in Morse code which said, would you all please come down the corridor and take the third left into the office on the office number 200. And one of you was wise enough or sensitive enough to hear the code and to go down the office, and that person has got the job. Absolutely true story, I swear it's true story. (laughs) No, it it absolutely won't be, but (laughs) at least I hope it won't be employing our... No, I won't get down that road. Um, how amazing, though. The sensitive. We all live with, with, with regrets. We just do. It's part of life. We live with regrets. One of mine would be, Lord, what have I missed? What have I missed? Because you wanted to get my attention in a particular way. You wanted to set me up for a divine encounter. You wanted to use me in that particular way, or possibly even to receive one. But we're talking about on, on this end of things. Uh, and, I, and I just didn't. And I missed it. How about this, Tim? Here's a nudge. Here's a whisper. And I just let it slide by. Well, what if Philip had missed it? In the story, we wouldn't have the story in the, in the Bible for the, in the first place. But what if he had missed it? Would God have found a different way of getting his message through to, to people uh, down in Ethiopia? Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. We can't particularly answer that question. But something precious would have been missed. And friends, I'm pretty confident there's a bunch of people in the room and maybe online think, I, I don't... I want to, if this is for me, I want, to be part, I want in on that. I don't want to miss stuff like that. I want to be part of this. Part of this keeping in step with the Spirit, which looks like this too. So being interruptible. What prevents us being interruptible? Well, a whole bunch of stuff. I don't think I need to go into that too much. Imagine the conversation a little bit later in the day and maybe put your name in it. And the Holy Spirit says, so Tim, I was really hoping that uh, today you'd pop down to the, the desert road that goes down to Gaza um, or, or across the street, actually, to your neighbor, Or that you might pick up the phone to that person that you have not been in contact with for a long period of time. I I, I tried to get your attention and communicate that to you. But um, I I noticed that you didn't pick up on that and you didn't respond. Why why was that? And you might have a bunch of things that that kind of come to mind. Um, Well, maybe I'm not, maybe actually, God, I'm not really convinced that you talk to me like that. Or that you would want to use me like like that. I don't know, Jay, if you've got a little list there of these kind of excuses. And they they may not be yours, but I'm guessing that some of them might be. They certainly are for me. I I think probably that's just for super Christians, isn't it? That kind of thing. Isn't that just for Philip and people in the Bible? Not for me. Or, I'm not very good at listening to you. Just being honest, God. Or, actually, I'm really busy with my own stuff, so I just didn't notice. Or... I'm a bit self-absorbed or I'm a bit frightened that if I hear that kind of thing and go for it, you'll lead me out of my comfort zone and I'm somebody who likes to, like all of us, uh, stay a bit safe within the things that I can control. Or uh, I don't like the Gaza desert road because it's a bit hot and dusty and horrible and I don't want to go there, thanks. Or I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Philip wasn't told what to say, by the way. He was just told to, like Abraham, get, get on your bike, wait for further instructions. Or, it's inconvenient for me right now. I haven't got my tent packed. I haven't got the money. Where am I I going to spend the night? How do I get food? Or, I'll do it later, God. Let me do this thing first. Or, what you're asking doesn't make any sense to me at all. Phone up that friend at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. Are you kidding? Or whatever, whatever. Fill in your sort of blank if you were standing in front of the Lord explaining why you missed what he wanted you to do, what he'd set you up to do. He doesn't condemn you for it, but what what are you going to say as you you look him in the face? And How comfortable is that moment for us? Philip's interruptible, beautiful quality. But was it just a gift he had? Was it just a personality type of his? Some people have it, some people don't. God just gave it to Philip, but he hasn't, hasn't given it to you. I don't think so. I don't think the Bible allows us to conclude that. So part of the reason that he was interruptible, because number two, he was intentional about cultivating his life with the Holy Spirit in order to be able to walk with God. So Acts 6, when we first meet him, he's described in a couple of ways, as are the other seven. Known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Well, that just doesn't happen by accident, does it? In Samaria, he's clearly learnt how to speak, hasn't he? He's learnt how to minister. He's, he's seen Jesus do it. He's been taught by the others. He's learnt how to do some things, to cast out demons and speak the gospel and, and, and help people in that sort of way. In this story, he asks the Ethiopian if he understands what he's reading. He hears him reading Isaiah. He recognizes that it's Isaiah the prophet. Of course he would. But he, do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't. Well, let me explain it to you. How could he explain it to you? Was it just a gift that God suddenly gave it to him from, from above? No. This is a guy who clearly had immersed himself in the scriptures. He was intentional about his life with God. So this wasn't just a a sort of random God picks this bloke and gives him everything you need in that moment for that situation. There's a backstory here which leads to this story. And so what's the backstory for us if we're wanting to grow in these things? And I'm sure that we are. What's our backstory? I'm pretty sure that Philip had in what we're using in our language at the moment, a rule of life. I forgot to have the leaflet with me, but imagine I'm holding the rule of life leaflet. I'm pretty sure that Philip had a rule of life which represented his intentionality about cultivating the way that he could hear the Lord and grow and and recognize his voice so that when that voice came, he... I'm in the middle of something in the city in Samaria, God. But the voice comes. No, go 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 down to the desert. I've got a job, an assignment for you. And he hears it. Why? Because he's come come to recognize that voice. We love shortcuts, all of us. We love shortcuts to most things, including uh, faithful Christian ministry and service and and stuff. Um, God, just just give me a word, Holy Spirit, that's going to solve everything in a moment. God, make me holy. By three o'clock. <laughs> we love shortcuts. Of course we do. Sometimes God's amazing and does shortcuts, but by and large he doesn't. In our parenting, um, H- Hills and I w- always used to say and say to others now: to get those amazing, highlight real, precious, intimate quality moments with your kids, those of you who got kids, you know, you know what that's like. Just the, oh, the, the unforgettable thing that you know, that precious, precious quality moment. In order to get that, you need quantity. You need the ordinary hard yards of parenting, and then out of nowhere comes a quality moment. We don't get the quality without the quantity. It's not one or the other. It's both. And so I think in, in the way that we're thinking about this, there's a bunch of, of ordinary things, if I can put it like that, that, that nurture us in faith, intentional, regular, daily prayers. And then this special moment of, of breakthrough, this, this stunning divine appointment. And Philip was able to make the most of it, partly because he had, I think, done the, the hard yards, as it were. Actually, it's funny Mike, that Mike should quote it earlier. William Temple, former archbishop and actually headmaster of my former school, said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Why should we be surprised? I, bet, I, I don't know if Philip did or didn't pray this, but do you? Do I? God, give me opportunities. Waking up this morning, Lord, I give this day to you. May there be opportunities for me to to bless someone, whatever. And it might turn out to be a divine divine appointment, or it might not. But the more we pray, guess what? The more we'll see them. So take a pause to to think uh, for you. Interruptible, intentional. How are we doing so far? Last one really quickly. Uh, It's slightly naff, um, I-N-T, but I had to make it rhyme. Um, Intrepid. Old-fashioned word, brave, courageous. It took a bit of courage, didn't it? It's not much more complicated than that. Hard, but simple. And I reckon if you, if you pick the single biggest obstacle for us, uh, for, for stepping into the kinds of things, the kinds of lives that most of us want to lead as followers of Jesus, including this openness and pursuing of the way that the Holy Spirit would direct us and nudge us and help us to, to cooperate with him in, in amazing moments... Then fear, apart from unbelief, by the way, which is the biggest fear, would be the next, wouldn't it? It's just that, that major obstacle, and that, that's a whole different message about how we how we overcome fear. But we all experience it. Experience it. It's this huge, effective weapon in the enemy's hands, and we all have to, to tackle it. And I'm pretty sure Philip did too. I don't think he was excused because it took some courage to say to that angelic voice. Um, yes, I'm going to go down to the middle of nowhere and and I don't know why I'm going there. And I don't know, you know, logistics, I don't know how to sort. Yeah, it it took some courage apart from anything else. How did he overcome it? Well, as I say, different message, but at least let's recognize this. His faith was bigger than his fear. His trust and his confidence in God, his desire to say yes to that sort of thing was bigger than the fear that might have held him back, bigger than his doubt, bigger than his unbelief, bigger than his desire, therefore, to say no. His passion to see God's purposes worked out was bigger than the cost to him of participating, if I can put it like that. And I remind us that passion, that kind of passion, it means, what are you going to pay for this? The measure of passion. Passion means suffering. Remember that. Yes, it expresses itself ultimately in excitement, but the, the root of the word is suffering I, because the measure of my passion is, the, is what I'm prepared to, to put up with, to go through in order to, to do the thing that I'm, I'm drawn to, whatever that thing is. In this case, it's God's purposes. And Philip's passion outweighed the cost of whatever it was, that he paid, he, the price he paid for doing that. I guess Philip had banked a lot of examples by now of God's coming through for him. He had known that God was faithful already. He knew that God would provide for him. He knew that God would protect him. Uh, and he's got this treasure store. And how's, how's that going for us? Are we good at looking back? and God did that, and God did that, and God did that, which gives me grounds for knowing that I can do the next thing, so that we're growing in courage. We're growing in those things. That comfort zone I referred to, it's, it's extending. Friends, going to wrap this up. Life is too short and the world is in far too much need for us to play it safe. The world is in far, far, far too much of a mess for God's church just to be a little bit cautious and a little bit on the back foot and to play it safe and to be a bit British and a bit controlled and to stay in our comfort zones. We've got to make some progress on this. I speak to myself. I speak to all of us. And this story really encourages me. I hope it does you. And if you haven't been encouraged for a while about this sort of thing, and a bit challenged, sure, read the book of Acts. Just, just grab a hold of it again. Because there are holy adventures to be had. Philip's on a holy adventure, not just so that he could say, woohoo, I've had a holy adventure. No, he's partnering with the Spirit of God in the purposes of God. It's what God wanted for him. It was the Holy Spirit who, who set this moment up, and he wanted Philip to say yes. And friends, are, are we in that position to say, yes, I'm gonna, I want to grow in this. I want to make some progress here. Well, he's given us some hints How? alongside the the faithful obedience in the same direction. There are kingdom coincidences. There are divine appointments to pray for, to respond to, to make the most of. Keeping in step with the Spirit. And God breaks in in those moments in decisive ways. We don't need to understand why. He just does in supernatural ways, life-giving ways. Somebody gets unusually comforted at 6.30 in the morning who wouldn't otherwise Somebody finds peace before they die off the back of three hours in a strange encounter in a, hotel, in a hospital room that they shouldn't have been in. And his whole life and destiny gets transformed in a moment and some family stuff gets sorted out. An Ethiopian in a chariot on his way home after a funny experience in Jerusalem gets revelation about who Jesus is and his life is turned around, which leads to other blessings and the whole nation begins to be affected. We are blessed to be a blessing, so let's not miss what God has for us, divine appointments and otherwise. Amen.